one Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And skipping down to verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you that you have given us your holy word. You've preserved for us the words of Jesus. So piercing and so comforting. We pray that you would challenge us and preach good news to us this morning. Give us your spirit to open our hearts, open our minds, to understand these words and apply them into our community, into our individual lives. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. This morning, uh, we are beginning a uh, four-part sermon series on the topic of generosity. We're calling this series Feast. And as many of you know, this is a a season that our church has been in together. Uh, If you were here a couple months ago, I did a kind of a preview sermon from 2 Corinthians on this topic. If you didn't listen to that sermon, you might, if you're part of our church, you might want to go back and listen to that online. So you kind of have a framework for what we're doing together. And then since then, our home groups have together gone through a, a, a devotional, a 20-day devotional that the home groups discussed. And also, if you're not in a home group and you wanted a devotional to go through out in the lobby, you can find one of those and uh, use that in your own devotional life. And uh, now, for the month of April, uh, we are going to have a four-part sermon series that will really be t- focusing on two topics. The first is, I'm hoping this will be a time of renewal about the vision of Christ Church, who we are, what is Christ Church about, about the gospel, about hospitality, about love for our neighbors. Second, 
we're going to be talking about the topics of tithing and giving to the work of God's kingdom, what that looks like in our spiritual lives. And later in this sermon, Ray Deck, who's our executive director, who's been helping us with this series, is going to come up and talk kind of more brass tacks about what that means for us as a congregation, ways that we can do that. But over these next four weeks, we are looking at some absolutely amazing passages of Scripture. And this one that I just read to you, I think is particularly special. I think my hope would be if there was any passage of Scripture that I would hope to define us as a community, this might be it. And uh, in this passage, Jesus tells a parable about God's kingdom and begins with these words in verse 16. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. Such a simple phrase. So powerful. Of course, the man is God himself who is inviting many into a great banquet that is his kingdom. And this is where the name feast comes from. And this banquet where many are invited is what our church is about. And that's why, you know, our logo, we have a table for our logo as a church. And so this morning, I want to talk about this theme of a feast by answering four questions from this passage for us. What is a feast? Who's invited? Where does the feast come from? And how do we become a part of it? Four topics for us. What is a feast? Who's invited? Where does the feast come from? And how do we become a part? And this passage is rich. So first question this morning, what is a feast? And you'll notice that the setting for this parable that Jesus tells uh, is given in verse 1. If you look at verse 1, it says, One Sabbath when Jesus went to dine, at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. So Jesus is at a dinner party with a religious leader. And it's at this dinner party that all the teaching in Luke 14 happens. So Jesus heals a man at the dinner party, and then he tells this parable, if you go to a dinner and, you know, don't sit in the best seat, because the host might say, you don't belong there, you need to go to the worst seat, and then you'll be all ashamed. And he says, you know, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted, and it's one of his famous teachings. And then he talks about the cost of following him and being a disciple of Jesus, and then he also tells this parable that we just read. Now, in the ancient world, banquets like this one were common. Dinners were not simply a place to eat and drink and socialize, but it was a place for deep discussion about the world, about life, about philosophy. Actually, Plato's Symposium is one of his classic works. Is, is it tells about these speeches that these guys give at one of these banquets. And so Jesus, in this chapter, when he's teaching to these religious leaders, he's showing himself to be one of the ancient philosophers of antiquity. And I think there's something very attractive about these kinds of events. You know, everyone's eating and they're drinking, there's beer, and there's wine, and they, I think in, back then they probably sang and danced together too, but then there would be these debates where someone would stand up and say, this is an idea I have, and there'd be these exchanges back and forth. And for many of us here, those times, those are experiences, are some of the best times of our whole life, eating and drinking and then getting into rich discussion about life. I think many of us, many people, Christian, non-Christian, long to be at settings like that, where we eat and drink and we are shaped by these deep discussions. And this longing 
the ancient world answered with a feast. And, you know, whenever I, I think of a party, I, I often think of my parents who are very different when they go to a party. My dad's the kind of person who will talk to everyone a little bit. You know, chat, make sure he connects with everyone. My mom, though, will find one person and spend two hours deep finding out, you know, what are you passionate about? What do you do? How do you spend your time? How did you come to that belief? Like, how did you learn that? And this whole exchange and back and forth about the deep things about life. And where does that happen? It happens at parties. It happens at dinner parties. It happened that way in the, in, in the ancient world. That's where these deep kind of conversations that many of us as Christians, want to be having, that's where they happen. I think the first thing to say is this could be a great picture for us as a church of what we do is our passion would be to throw parties for our neighbors and we somehow creatively make it a safe, respectful place for people to talk about the deep questions of life and themselves and about God and about the world and about history or whatever, you know, whatever it is. And so what is a feast? It's a gathering around food and drink to discuss the deep matters of life and then to have our lives shaped by it. And you might say, okay, all right, Jesus, he's an ancient philosopher, but how is he different than the ancient philosopher? Is he different? Well, you'll notice that in this passage, Jesus is participating in the banquet. You know, he's teaching there as the rabbi and stuff. He's also disrupting the banquet. And uh, because for the ancient Greeks, they saw philosophy, you know, having these deep discussions, is something that was done by the ruling class, by the rich, by the educated, who had time. They had the leisure that they could, they could afford to have the leisure to sit and talk about these things. And the poor were the ones who would be working to provide for them so they'd have the leisure to have these discussions. This is the difference with Jesus, is the second question, who's invited? to the feast. And earlier in the chapter, Luke tells us that at this dinner party, that it was a bunch of Pharisees, religious leaders, and lawyers who were at this dinner. They're elites, they're educated, they're respected. And then Jesus, just in front of all of them, just calls them out. This is what he says in verse 12. Jesus said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they invite you in return and you be repaid. Don't invite your friends. And, you know, I know that immediately raises a question for some of you. You say, is this saying you can never have dinner with your friends? You always have to find strangers to have dinner with. And we, you know, we interpret scripture with scripture. We know that Jesus had friends. You know, in the resurrection, Jesus ate fish on the beach with Peter and stuff. You know, um, but this passage tells us that this was not just any dinner. It was the Sabbath. The Lord has appointed a weekly feast day for us as a community. And Jesus says, when you have those kinds of dinners, these Sabbath meals, these Sabbath gatherings, don't just invite your friends. And he goes on to say in verse 13, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Who does Jesus say he wants invited to his dinner discussion (laughs) times? 
the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And, you know, the, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, those three are mentioned in the, back in the book of Leviticus. Those were three things that would disqualify someone from being a part of the priesthood in ancient Israel. And then Luke uses the term poor. Poor is used more broadly in Luke than simply, you know, not having enough money. It, it represents anyone who's kind of marginalized, who's an outsider. And what this means is that we should, on the one hand, read this list very literally, invite people with disabilities to your house, but more broadly, what this passage means, invite in the outsider, the one who's been excluded, the one who has no place, no community, the one who's been thrown out. That really broadens who comes to mind. And what's being described in this passage is the ancient practice of hospitality. And the Greek word for hospitality is the word phylloxenos, which literally means love of strangers. And it was particularly applied, hospitality applied to sojourners. You know, in the ancient world, if you're a sojourner, you're traveling from one village to another, and you're coming to a village, you don't know anyone, and you're either sleeping outside where you know, bandits can get to you, you're probably the most vulnerable person in a society as a sojourner. You're hoping that there's going to be some family that would say, Hey, you can come stay with us. You have dinner with us. We're going to give you a bed, and you, you, can, you can sleep with us. And so what, uh, what hospitality is, is taking the resources of being a part of a family, being a part of a household, and giving those resources to an outsider, to someone who's not a part of the family, who's not a part of the social network, who's, not a, who's a stranger. And what hospitality means is that being part of a family or a social network, you know, Jesus described the social network here of friends, brothers, relatives, rich neighbors. When you have a social network like that, it gives you a whole pool of resources that makes life go easier for you. So, you know, one example I, I thought of when I was in college, I was studying math at Western. I was like, I'm not really sure what you do with a math degree, what math jobs there are. And my dad was friends with a guy who was a partner in an actuarial firm, which is a math job. And it was in Seattle, one of the tall buildings. And he had a window that looked out over the water and stuff like that. And, you know, I borrowed a suit from my dad that didn't quite fit. It was a little too big for me. I walk into this fancy office and sit and talk with a partner of this big actuarial firm. How did that happen? Some kid, it's because, well, my dad knew someone. There is a social network. And Jesus is saying in this passage, at dinners like these, those social networks are formed, they're strengthened, and they're fortified. And that's why he says in verse 12, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. So the meaning of this passage is that Jesus intends for us to share our networks and resources, our community, with those who don't have them. Those here who don't have them. Those in Bellingham and Whatcom County who don't have them. And he says that those networks and resources and relationships are formed through meals, feasts, eating together. So what is different about Jesus? Jesus, very interesting, he's, he's saying <laughs> he wants these philosophical dinners. Actually, that's how the early church was. Even the poor who coming in, people saw the early churches basically like a philosophical community because they were studying this book and they were so interested in just talking about God and, and, and studying God's word. He says, I want you to have these communities like this. And he says, 
and he is not inviting the elite or the educated or the charming. He's inviting those who have so, no social network. But one thing then that you'll notice is that one of the main themes around God's kingdom in the practice of hospitality is resources. If you think that our wealth or our possessions or our social connections are not an important part of God's kingdom, you're not listening to Jesus. And this leads to a third question. Where does the feast come from? that Jesus is spreading. There's two interesting answers. Because on the one hand, Jesus initially says, the feast comes from our wealth, is what creates the feast. And then he changes gears, and he says it's God's wealth. It's kind of interesting, which is it? So first you see the feast comes from our wealth. And you'll notice there's the mention of repayment in this passage. In the second half of verse 12, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. And then in verse 14, And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now what Jesus is talking about, this comes from Proverbs 19.17, which says this, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Jesus intends that our physical resources be used to extend his hospitality to the broken and to the outsider. These are important words for those of us who have physical resources. Maybe a good-sized home. Maybe wealth. Maybe a strong network of friends and connections. And if that's you, you might say, are you saying that more is expected of me because I have these possessions? Yes. Just two chapters before, this is what Jesus says in Luke 12. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And for him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. That's a hard word. And I'll tell you what it means. That according to God, being rich, being wealthy, is a blessing, but it's hard. And by the way, if you have more modest means or you're poor... You want to be careful about envying rich people. A lot of burden and expectation is being put on them in this passage. Being poor as well is hard, and it can be a blessing. It can be simple simple as well. But I'll tell you, there's something that's very interesting in this passage because even those among us who may have larger homes or wealth or social networks, we may feel, well, okay, I may have those things, but I'm not invincible. And so you're saying, I need to be a host to all the lonely and the poor and the outsider. I'm not sure I can do it. I don't know if I have it in me. Well, it's interesting because as much as Jesus says the feast comes from the wealth of those who have, he immediately changes gear and says that it comes not only from from our wealth, but the feast comes from God's wealth, right? Because he goes into this parable that starts in verse 16. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many... And the man who gave the banquet, it's not us, it's God. He's the host who's giving the banquet. And so it's in some ways like Jesus is setting up this beautiful but impossible mission to welcome in all the broken and the outsiders. And then he immediately says, you're not going to do this, I'm going to do this. And this leads to a question. You know that this series has to do with also with tithing and giving. It has to do with our mission, but also tithing and giving. What is 
This has to do with giving to the church. Because this whole passage is about giving to people. It's not to the church. It's about opening your home. It's about, you know, having Sabbath meals where you invite the outsiders. It's about, you know, showing hospitality. It's all beautiful. And the answer to that is you're partly right that it's about that. We should hear these words and do them. But if you take these words from Jesus seriously, you will soon find, I can't do it. Open my, my home, open to all the poor, the crippled, the lime, the blind, and the lame, and the outcast, the disabled. You try to do this, you will kill yourself. You both should do it, and you can't do it. So what should we say about that? I think the answer is, it's better, instead of saying, I can't do it, to say, I can't do it alone. And this beautiful vision of hospitality can't be done by an individual, but it can be done by Jesus working through his church, through the body. And so that is why just offering my resources to a stranger in my own home, which as essential as that is, isn't enough. God intends for us to pool our resources as a community, that this would become a place of, of resources, physical resources, a place of relational resources, to make a great feast where he is the host and the poor and the depressed and the abused, the abandoned, the disenchanted, the lost, come to become a part of God's family. And that's why giving to the church matters, because that's how we pool our resources together as a family to do this mission that we cannot do as individuals. And so this leads to our last question. How do we become a part of this feast? And I'll tell you, I, you know, I picked this passage. I knew I wanted to talk about this passage, and I had thought I knew exactly what I was going to say. My intention was to be like, hey, Jesus tells this parable about a banquet that he's giving, and then he sends out these servants who go and invite a bunch of people to come into the, to the feast. And I was like, oh, Jesus is the host. We're all the servants who go out and welcome people in. And then this week, I was getting ready to write this last point and say that. And then something struck me, because the passage doesn't say that the host sent out servants, plural, but a servant. Verse 17. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Who's the servant? Of course, Isaiah tells us that Jesus is the servant of the Lord. And so that the story is actually that God the Father is the host, and he sends his own son as the servant to go and call people and invite them into the kingdom. And when we read the passage that way, it, its meaning to us is very different because we find uh, when we find ourselves in the story, we are not the servants who are going out. Who are we then? If we're not the servants who are going out, who are we? There's two options in the passage. On the one hand, we could be those who are so deeply entangled in our possessions, in our work, in our families, that we have no interest in going to God's banquet. You see that those people mentioned verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. I have work to do. I need to focus on my work. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. These are my possessions. I need to care for my possessions. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore cannot come. I, my family is preoccupying me. Any of those could be us. 
And I know that some of you will hear that and say, I know where this is going. You say, you all need to stop focusing on your work and your family and your possessions and start focusing on the church. But that would be to say, you need to stop being the people who make excuses and be the servant. But you're not the servant. And so if I'm not entangled in my work and my family and possessions, who am I then in this passage? This is so important. Verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. The only other option is to realize that we have all come here blind. We're all blind in some way. Crippled. We are broken. The poor, we are the outsiders. The lame. Unless you know what it is to be an outsider who had no place and who has been welcomed in, God's kingdom will never take hold of you. Unless you know what it is to be an outsider and then have been welcomed in, God's kingdom will never take hold of you. And the way that we become a church defined by God's hospitality is not by me saying to you, you know what, you need to serve more. You need to be a servant. You need to... Uh, you need to save the world. It is simply for us to see that we are the blind and the crippled. We are the outsiders. We come to God empty-handed, but Jesus brought us in. And if he did that for me, I want him to do it for others. And when we see ourselves that way, when people walk through those doors, we will see them differently. We remember, I was far off. And Jesus made a place for me and God's family, and they need to experience that too. And that's how this parable ends. I love how this parable ends. Verse 23. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. God wants his house full of outsiders and of the broken. That's what he's doing in his feast. And this gospel, this welcome we will not stop remembering, we'll not stop talking about, we'll not stop teaching each other about, we'll not stop celebrating until God's house, God's feast, indeed, is full. Let's pray together.